The cop was there. He told me, he said, don't you even show up in court. I said, oh, I wouldn't think of it. I'll just pay it. How dare him tell me not to come to court and exercise my right to protest an unfair ticket. But yeah, I, I went there and I put on and it worked. And then I got outside and the, you know, the police officer followed me outside and said, you don't look like that. He shouldn't have followed me out the courtroom. That's ridiculous that you're intimidating me. Yeah. You have a gun and I, I have some Botox. It's not equal. <laughs> <laughs> You're listening to She's Got Drive podcast, the podcast that inspires women to be a driver in their own life through the life and stories of black women with drive. And I'm your host, Shirley McAlpine. I'm a business consultant, an executive coach, and a leadership facilitator working for people and organizations to live their lives by design and not default. Welcome back to another episode of She's Got Drive. Welcome back. And in this episode, we have the wonderful Dr. Janine Downey who is a certified dermatologist, and I'll tell you more about her uh, in a minute. But we had we sat down together and had this wonderful, fruitful, long conversation. And this was actually happened last year. And so I really wanted to, to post this now. And I just really valued our time together. It was such a beautiful time together. So I so want to um, say that she, it, it warms my heart when I think about how, how, how we were when we, when we met up for this, this interview. A rare occasion that I actually meet people face to face. And it was just gorgeous at a time when she was in Chicago. Before we go into that interview, one of the things that I've been sitting with is, or the, I've been thinking about is how sometimes we need to slow down in order to speed up. And what do I mean by that? I mean, sometimes we're moving so fast in terms of what we want, what we want to achieve, where we want to be, what we want to accomplish, that we miss so much. We miss so much. And then in the missing we're not able to really get to what we want in this in the time frame that we want to achieve it. So I've been thinking about more about what do I need to do to slow things down and particularly the pace of what's happening out in the world which is which really impacts us so much and so I know it's impacting me so deeply. So how do how have I been kind of trying to slow things down and ironically my daily, my running that I've reintroduced in the last few weeks has really been helping me to slow down. It's ironic because of course I'm running, but to slow down, like slows down my mind in order to move more effectively forward. Another is a practice around meditation, which has come back into my life that has allowed me to really slow things down. That has allowed, that is enabling me to be more effective allowing me to, to slow down my thoughts so I can really reflect and think about what is it that I want. Allow me to slow down to see what are the decisions that I want to make and need to make. So my, I, I share this with you to see if this could be helpful is where in your life can you slow it down in order to ultimately move faster, you know, to get to where you want to uh, in, in a much shorter time. So I wanted to share that that with you slow down to go fast. I also want to talk about my she's got drive journals and the gratitude journal particularly. So I've got the she's got drive journals and it, 
and um, on Amazon and I've got a gratitude journal that I've put out that's really aimed at women sort of making every day count. The link is in the show notes for that. I really want to encourage you to start a, a daily practice of gratitude because we know that when we are practicing gratitude, the impact that it has on our life can be immense. That positive psychology, the positive impact when we are present to what we have each day versus what we don't have. So I've created this 30 days of gratitude journal and um, I would recommend that you get it off Amazon or you buy it as a gift as well. It's beautiful designed. I was co-designed with my niece, Natasha, to co-design with love. Uh, I love working with her. And so please, links in the show notes, grab your copy of the She's Got Drive gratitude journal or send it as a gift. It's a beautiful gift for, for someone. See what shows up for you uh, after 30 days um, in your life after practicing that. Okay, so let's let me tell you about Dr. Janine Downey. Dr. Janine Downey is a licensed dermatologist and she's certified by the American Board of Dermatology. Her reputation for excellence and personal patient care have made her one of the most sought after physicians. She graduated from Tufts University with a Bachelor of Science in Psychology and Biology and got her medical degree in 1992. She's a sought after lecturer and author of several dozen scientific papers. She's been featured on television, on The View, Good Morning America, The Today Show, The Rachel Ray Show, The Good Day New York, Fox 5 News, um, BET News, Channel 5. She's been in the New York Times. She's been in LA Times. She's been in Essence Magazine, Teen Vogue, InStyle, Cosmopolitan, Harper's Bazaar, Ebony, O Magazine. She has been, uh, she was a contributor to the Living Beauty, Bobby Brown, Beauty Evolution book as well as Hair Rules by, as well, by Anthony Dickey. And she's got her own book, which is Beautiful Skin of Color, which provides men and women with the comprehensive information they need to care for their dark olive and Asian skins, which is the, her first book. And it was public, it was her first book. So she she's so experienced and a deep expert, has so much to give us and guide us, and has such a fascinating story as well so you're gonna love dr janine downey i loved her you're gonna love her so i give you dr janine downey janine thank you so much for being a guest on she's got drive thank you shirley for having me and this is exciting i'm looking forward to our conversation yeah it feels like a long time coming i've wanted to interview you and sit with you for a long time and so I feel very privileged to be able to spend this time with you. And um, I'm excited to find out more about you and how you got to being this phenomenal woman that you are. Oh, you're so sweet. <laughs> well, um, my name is Dr. Janine Downey. I practice at Image Dermatology, my own practice in Montclair, New Jersey. I am a board certified dermatologist. I focus on cosmetic dermatology specifically. Mm -hmm. So what I do is I look at someone's face and I figure out the best way to anti-age them, to slow down their aging, to spin back a couple of years. I also look at bodies and how to anti-age bodies and what to do with that as well. Mm -hmm. And most of my procedures are minimally invasive or non-invasive. And my patients really respond very well. What I explain to my patients is that 
your face is really your most important accessory because that's what you carry with you every day. Mm -hmm. That's what people see. You know what right. I'm saying, Shirley? You know, you want to just make sure that you look and feel your best. Nobody wants to be the old guy or the old gal at the office anymore. That's not what it's about. And looking and feeling your best vis-a-vis, um, -vis, you know, our economic success. I tell people that looking and feeling your best, it's about your economic viability mm -hmm. in terms of how you do in the workplace. And then it's about your social and romantic viability in terms of how you're doing, you know, feeling wise about yourself in your personal life. Right. And so people are coming in for economic and realizing, oh, this has personal implications, or they're coming in for personal reasons. They just went through a divorce. They, they, they're just getting married, you know, whatever it happens mm -hmm. to be. And they realize, oh, this has economic implications. I can look better and put my best face forward at work. So I'm encouraging people to put their best face and their best body forward. And right. so I have a lot of fun with that. Okay, so the other thing I want to let you know, this interview was originally recorded before Rona hit us so we were able to be in the room together face to face remember those days and but I reached out to Janine who kindly gave me a little bit more time because I was really interested in finding out how she was doing as a doctor obviously in this COVID pandemic and also I wanted to find out what her take was on this awakening that we're now in around race. I just wanted to spend some time looking at the the, the pandemics that we're now experiencing well it's not that the pandemic of racism we've been experiencing but we're now present to and we're and we're in the midst of this this really extraordinary time i'm happy to talk about whichever one you want to i have a lot to say on both of them okay. i mean i i mean i feel like as a as a black person i'd be a black person first because that's what everybody sees so we should talk about racism first okay and then we'll talk about um coronavirus after because i'm a black person first and a doctor second okay that specific week where we had Amy Cooper at the beginning of the week and and then we had what well, was the next day I think was the the, right. the murder so of, it was Amy Cooper and Christian Cooper so yeah. and then we had the murder of, of George, George Floyd. Floyd looking at Amy Cooper and Christian Cooper she was willing to risk his life or get him killed because she did not want to leash her dog right. and right now currently he doesn't want to got charges against her really cooperating with people and i find it fascinating people that call the police erroneously on brown and black people for nonsense need to know that they're going to be held accountable for it right. so she needs to be held accountable for what she did so if you looked at the postings that day so many people were so upset and they're calling franklin templeton and she must be fired and she must be this and she must be that and then she was fired and then later that week i was reading something on an alternate website, as I say in quotes, and it said, oh, I hope he's happy he got her fired. No, no, no. Christian Cooper did not get her fired. Christian Cooper and or, and, or his sister videotaped her going off, choking her dog and calling the police and changing her voice to sound so panicked and say, a black man, is, is, he's, he's, he's threatening me. He's threatening me. And everyone saw in that moment how right. fake that protest and how fake she was. If anything, she was more up in his face then he was up in her right. face and she must be held accountable. So that website that I was looking at later in the week, she got herself fired. He did not request that Franklin Templeton fire her, but shame on her. She considers herself a liberal and she's from Canada. Looking at Derek Chauvin put his knee on the neck of George Floyd, like he was a bug, a roach, a mouse, mm -hmm. a nothing, a nothing. 
and he's he's saying, "Sir, sir, I can't, I can't breathe." And he's for eight minutes and forty six seconds, and then he Derek Chauvin thought he was going to go back and sleep in his bed, and Derek Chauvin thought his life was going to go on, and Derek Chauvin thought that he could perhaps do this to other people in his life. And then it came out that he knew him from a bar, restaurant, nightclub where they both worked as bouncers and obviously Chauvin didn't like him. And and then it came out that he's had this history of violent police brutality mm -hmm. against minorities for years that's never been checked because they don't have that stuff up front for, for people to look at. Mm -hmm. And then it came out that his brother-in-law, the Hamong Cambodian man, stood there, the Asian one with his arms crossed. That was his brother-in-law. If anybody can give you a Chicago PD moment, I love that show, and say, yo, man, that's enough, and pull Hank Voigt, you know, the star mm -hmm. of Chicago PD, off of the other person, yo, man, that's enough. Where was the yo, man, that's enough from his brother-in-law? If your own brother-in-law won't tell you, cut it out, this is enough, then who will? Right. The level of disgust that I have for the way that police officer treated that human being mm -hmm. I'm delighted that so many people started realizing what we as African-Americans go through every day of our lives. And I get it like you do, twofold. I get the sexism and I get the racism. And I get them both one little heaping after another. I've traveled around the world. I did like something crazy, like 226,000 miles during the year of 2019. Now this year, I'm, I'm clocking almost nothing. <laughs> right. um, you know, but the, the past couple of years are just flying United constantly. Stupid questions. Is this your seat? I'm sitting in business class. No, I think it's a bus. I just sat in the first open seat. Of course, this is my seat. Right. Crazy questions about, would you mind switching with my friend? Um, and then they'll point to somebody in coach and say, well, you probably got upgraded. What? Huh? Like, you're telling me that happens to other people all the time? No, I didn't get upgraded. No. I paid for my ticket. No, I'm not switching with your friend who's sitting in coach. And yes, you're out of your mind. And no, now I'm not going to talk to you. And I'm going to be funky the whole flight. You know, I mean, just the level of aggression, nastiness, right. hatefulness, um, people you know, being annoyed that I'm breathing their air. Could you put my bag up for me? Some, some woman that was frowning at me the entire time, we get on the plane, um, I got on before her, I sit down, has the nerve to ask me, could you put my bag up? I glanced up at her and I said, oh, I'm sorry, I, I, can't, I can't lift your bag, I hurt my shoulder. Perhaps you could get a flight attendant, you realize I don't work here, right? And why is she asking me, who's already sitting down, a female in business class? You're going to tell me she would have asked a white woman? She would not have. Right. And so, and the and so, it's the little, you know, the little, you know, mm -hmm. and then the big ones, you know, being called, you know, nigger when I was in, you know, in in medical school and residency, and me having to tell a a patient at four in the morning one day in the ER at Cornell, Upper East Side, that's doctor nigger to you. How dare you? You know what I'm saying? Right. I'm, and that's not funny, but I was just so annoyed. Right. How dare you come in and then be mad that I'm black? You know what I'm saying? How dare you? Go someplace else then. You know what I'm saying? That type of thing. I mean, it's just, it, the, it's, it's just unbelievable. I have been pulled over, uh, Shirley, multiple times, but six times in particular, six for driving while black. What do I mean by that? Um, I have empty plates and they think that I've stolen my vehicle because they don't think I could possibly be a doctor. So the first time it happened, I was quite shocked. And I was like, you know, what do you mean? And, and then he's like, this car has been reported stolen. And I was like, you know, and I said to him, excuse me, officer, these are the same plates I've had since I graduated medical school in 1992. Cause I'm a cornball, Shirley. When I graduated from medical school, I was so proud. Mm -hmm. One of the first things I did was run out and get my little MD plates. Cause my mother has MD plates and 
my mother's a physician also, and I wanted my MD plates, rites of passage. So I got like not specialized ones, just regular ones. Mm -hmm. And I put them on my little hoopty Volkswagen that I had at the time. And then I moved up to a Mazda Miata. And then I moved up to a Volvo. And now I moved up to a Mercedes convertible, which is where I'm staying. Right. So driving the convertible around with the MD plates on it, I have stolen my car six different occasions. And this is in liberal, open-minded, you know, supposedly not racist, mostly supposedly democratic New Jersey. Imagine if I was in Mississippi or someplace that's known to be more closed mind, although they did just take the Confederate um, flag off of their flag. So I'm very proud of them for doing that in Mississippi. Pulling over like what? I stole and the then car. Acu- and, then you, and then accusing you of stealing your own car. And you, and then know, when I say and you officer, know it's a lie. Yeah. And I know it's a lie because I'm the only one that's ever owned those plates. Right. There's no chance. And so I, I've actually, I know what to say now. I said, oh, officer, you must have keyed that in wrong because I've owned these plates since 1992. And then they're like, you didn't graduate medical school in 1992. And I'm like, well, I did. I, I specialize in anti-aging. So I, I may look like I did, but I did actually graduate then. I've, I've handed my ID from the hospital, my, my one of my hospital IDs from Overlook, that's a hospital I'm on staff at. And they'll look at it and they'll say, this isn't you. Giving false ID to a police officer is a crime. I would never do that. Right. You know, so then you're going to argue with me about it's not me because it doesn't look like me. Um, you know, what do you mean? <laughs> like, I'm, I'm scared. scared. Right. I'm, and I am supposedly non-threatening. And I'm scared. I'm a doctor. I'm educated. I'm in a northern state. You know, I'm supposed to be safe with police officers. They're supposed to make me safe. I'm scared. Right. I'm, I'm frightened. And we need to all understand that we're all in this together. Seeing those people lie down on that bridge, I forget if that was Washington State or Oregon, for eight minutes and 46 seconds and knowing that the majority of them were Caucasian, they all were saying, I can't breathe, makes me want to cry. Looking at some of the different protests around the mm-hmm. country, the Amish people shaking their tambourines and coming out in blistering hot weather a month ago to show their solidarity with George Floyd in the protests, the Syrian people, they have bombed out shelters, graffiti, they have nothing left of beautiful Damascus and their beautiful Syria, right. which looked like Paris from what I'm told at one point, they have nothing left. And they're like, we stand with you, George Floyd. I've seen the pictures. Right. In Israel, you know, the, the the eight minutes and 46 seconds of silence that they did. So, I mean, around the world, people are with us and feeling horribly for how African-Americans, Latino-Americans, let's add Native Americans to right. that, and certainly Asian-Americans have been treated in this country. But in particular, let's speak about African-Americans. We've been here for 401 years, and we are not looking for revenge. We're looking for equality. Right. We're looking for equality. I don't want you following me around the store. I don't want you asking me 16 times if I need help. I don't want you taking care of me the last at the gas station. I don't want you to ask me, is that your blah, blah, before I leave the store when I came in here with it. I don't want those things. Those are emotionally disruptive. And then when we wonder about COVID and why so many Black people are succumbing to that. There's all these emotionally biased insults that add to our diabetes, add to our high blood pressure, all these microaggressions Mm -hmm, day mm -hmm. to day. And then for me, one of the things I do is I exercise seven days a week, so I over-exercise, but I'm too sensitive. My auntie, who didn't like me, a Jamaican woman, you're too smart for your own good, Janine. You're too smart for your own good. (laughs) So I've always been a little too smart for my own good. I can take in so much 
And I find it so insulting. I find it so insulting that I have to blow off steam. So I exercise seven days a week and that's how I deflect some of it. Mm -hmm. I also, I believe in self-care. I married like a great man. He's nice. He's normal. He's funny. He's sweet. He's kind. It's almost 24 years later. And I feel lucky every day we have a nice, normal child, you know, just one. I, you know, wish I had two, but we have one and she's great. Teenagers are not perfect. You know, (laughs) we try, you know what I'm saying? I didn't want to marry Mr. Dysfunction from my past. We all dated one or two Mr. Dysfunctions. I wasn't doing that to myself. So part of the microaggressions, then who you're doing this, who you're doing that, it all levels out to be way too much for many people. Then you see the cancer, then you see mm-hmm. the diabetes, then you see, you know, you're, you're, you're 55 and you're having your second stroke. Like what? Right. You know what I'm saying? Like right. what? And then w- right. when we're wondering why so many African-Americans are susceptible to COVID, the pandemic of racism, which started, you know, I mean, before 401 years ago, mm-hmm. but 401 years ago, for America, basically the pandemic of racism has led into the pandemic of coronavirus right. and has made us so susceptible to this disease. And then there's simple things. One of my patients was asking me something about, oh, Dr. Downey, do you believe this thing about vitamin D and coronavirus? I'm not sure. I've read some conclusive arguments that if you're vitamin D deficient, you're more prone to getting coronavirus. Mm-hmm. So if you take vitamin D supplements three times a week, whatever, Monday, Wednesday, Friday, and it could really help you, why wouldn't you just take it? Right. If you're not sure about your vitamin D level and you want to be a purist, get your blood drawn. Wear a mask. They'll wear a mask. Get your vitamin, your vitamin D level drawn. See where you are in your vitamin D level and then perhaps take the vitamin D. Right. But there's no reason why every single brown, like darker Latino and black person, African-American, should not be taking vitamin D right now. There's too much information out there that it might might help. The coronavirus crisis for me was seven weeks of closing my practice and putting the majority of my staff on unemployment. I shared that with you earlier before Mm -hmm. we started recording. It was one of the scariest times of my life. We had savings. So we were helped with some of that savings to be able to get through. I got a little money, but not as much money as I wanted at all. But I I was able to do consulting. I did webinars. I did some clinical trial work. um, And I did some telemedicine. Mm -hmm. And all of those things cobbled together helped me to survive through it. And now we've been back open for a little over two months. And it's been quite busy. But one of the main things that I also shared with you is I I kind of put my my vision of how the practice was going to be safer and different during this COVID crisis on my Instagram. And I encouraged my patients to watch it. And the parking lot is now the waiting room. And we are trying to have everybody fill out the paperwork before they come in here. Call them on the phone before they come in here and ask them if they've been in touch with anybody with coronavirus. If they're feeling sick again, we take a temperature check Um, as they're coming in. We ask people, you know, to wash their hands. We are sanitizing all the rooms, sanitizing the door handles. But one of the most important things is when we get them up to the room and they're masked and unmasked and they have to take their mask off because it's dermatology. They're showing me their face. I'm swabbing their noses with betadine. So betadine is a surgical solution that we use for, you know, killing bacteria off mm-hmm. the skin before surgery. It's brownish. It's well known around the world. Povidine, iodine. So unless you have an iodine allergy or a severe shellfish allergy, the majority of people can use it. Um, There's a study that came out in April of 2020, which showed that using it intranasally or in the mouth, but we swab it up the nose, um, a lot of the dentists are having people gargle with it, 
it can prevent attachment of the common cold, the flu, and the coronavirus for up to three hours. So it is not something that is permanent. Obviously, it only lasts mm-hmm. for three hours. But it's something that's helpful because we have nothing right now to help us with coronavirus. So if we can find something that helps us with coronavirus, this is a bit of a win. The simple, kind warnings about what not to touch and to continue washing our hands. As long as we can be smart about this, hopefully the the majority of us can stay very, very, very safe. And to the people that think it's a hoax, it's not. To the people that have lost somebody, 137,000 people as of today, my heart breaks for the Mm -hmm. families, for Mm -hmm. the individuals, for the fact that they couldn't have a proper funeral. Right. Um, There is in the town and country for the summer, there's a picture of an African-American woman from New Jersey. I'm not sure what she does, but I know she works in a morgue. She bought a ton of daffodils. I'm not sure how many, I think something like 1500 to put on the um, kind of the little boxes where all the dead bodies were because nobody was giving them a proper burial. So she took it upon herself. I'm going to get choked up and took her own money and bought the daffodils to put on the different dead bodies and they're different like little like not even caskets Mm -hmm. they're like wooden crates like you'd ship some furniture in to like to give them some semblance of humanity right and so she's with oprah winfrey gave 10 million dollars she's with jeff bezos gave money for something and then there's her among other people and to me she deserves to be there she's a hero for doing that so there's so many people that are trying to do so much but I'm sad about Arizona and Florida and Texas right exactly. now and how taxed this. I feel bad. The doctors are exhausted. And for people that want a mask waiver that feel like wearing a thin little nothing over their face is doing something to them and making them not be able to breathe. There are people that actually have trachs. Those people shouldn't be out the house right now. They should be doing all their shopping uh, through Instacart. They mm-hmm. should be getting their their pharmaceuticals delivered they should not be going out at all people that have actual trachs mm-hmm. as for the that are breathing through their throat right as for the rest of the world that can breathe through their mouths there are very 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 few actual issues um where you couldn't wear a mask for more than like 20 minutes like everybody can wear a mask for 20 minutes right you have asthma, you have, you have bronchitis, you have end stage, you know, you know, lung cancer, and you're having problems with your oxygenation. If you pop um, an O2 sat monitor on most of those people, they can get through wearing a mask for the 15 minutes that they're at the store running to get their groceries. They can do it, you know? So I, I, the mask waivers, I just don't get, I'm not infringing upon your civil liberties. I'm trying to keep myself safe and I'm trying to keep you safe. Right. And this is the best way to do it. This is the best way to do it. And this is not a political anything. This is about safety for human beings. Um, And that's all there is to it. I was speaking with a um, colleague in France today because I'm going to do a virtual lecture. I was supposed to be um, in Switzerland as of Sunday and in France next Wednesday doing some lectures. Mm -hmm. And instead, I'll be in New Jersey. (laughs) So um, I'm talking to my uh, one of my colleagues and I'm saying, how are things in France with coronavirus? And he's like, oh, Dr. Downey, it's like it never happened. I was like, really? He's like, yeah, I mean, we wear masks when we're out and about on the streets and stuff. But, you know, I mean, we're socially distant and our numbers are really low and the infection rate is really under control. And Macron did a good job. And I'm like, wow, 
I'm so happy to hear that. It's not like that at all over here. It's like, <laughs> <I know. laughs> so, That's so what's sure also like, so frustrating about yeah. where we are right now is we absolutely yeah. don't don't we need don't have to, to be in to this be place and we, did, we don't have to we be there. really didn't have to be mm. here and nope. the fact that still there mm. are people who's are not practicing those very basic things that keep us safe it just right. makes my head spin i wash I, your hands wear a mask socially distance if you have any of the symptoms tell somebody immediately don't try to handle it yourself but mm-hmm. the two pandemics together, I have so many of my Caucasian um, patients coming in and saying to me, how can I help? And your white allies that you mentioned before, I love that. Mm-hmm. And I love the fact that people are concerned about what they can do. And I'm explaining to people right. what it is to be anti-racist. But we are in this moment and we I'm grateful for this moment that we're in. I'm grateful that I've seen it and that the work has the work has been Started. done. Yeah, but let's we have to hold the feet to the fire of the powers that be and make sure that we can actually have no chokeholds passed. We can have the police, the police person, male or female's record put out there for us to see. We have to actually have penalties for police officers assaulting, um, beating, uh, you know, like choking, Mm -hmm. like killing you know, brown and black people. There have to be penalties put in place. If things do not move forward and they're allowed to continue to brutalize us, then Nothing's we would going to change. To achieve that we possibly can in this moment. Right. Let's go back to you talking about you being a doctor. I trained at Mount Sinai Medical Center in New York City. I was the chief resident there. Mm-hmm. I got out in 1997. I worked for other people first. Mm-hmm. And then I opened my own practice in January 2000. And so it's been 19 and three quarter years at this point, almost 20 years. It's exciting. It's it's a lot of fun. I named my practice Image Dermatology. I figured a lot of things in my life, Shirley, when I'm out running. You know, I'm a big runner. Um, I'm a big runner and like the clarity, the boom. You know Uh what I'm saying? People are like, oh my God, how do you do that? So bad for your joints. I'm like, whatever. And I (laughs) I figured I'd name my practice Image Dermatology Mm -hmm. one time when I was out for a run because I struggled with my own image when I was younger. Certainly as a young black girl growing up in New Jersey, I grew up in an integrated suburb of of the city, Teaneck, New Jersey, one of those lovely little leafy suburbs. Mm -hmm. But yet, you know, I was on the side of town that there were more white people and then there was a black side of town and some people thought I thought I was cute because I wasn't on the proper side of town in their opinion. Of course, you know, I didn't buy the house. It's my parents' house, you know, right. that type of thing. This is very interesting. So I struggled with my image that way and okay. I struggled with my image in terms of my actual physical looks because I had really bad acne. I had really, really, really bad eczema. And my hair was kind of broken off and I was kind of chubby and, you know, awkward teenager slash young adult stage. And so my mother, who's a pediatrician, I'll talk about her in a minute, but she would say, oh, you have great cheekbones. You'll be fine later. You're just going through a bad phase. You know it's bad when your mother can't even tell you you're cute. <laughs> uh... You know that's bad. So, and, you know, people would stop me. You know, they would say to me, you know, if you just wash your face, and I just was taken aback by how people were just so comfortable, especially telling women, young women, yes. about their faces. It's unacceptable. Of course, this is acne. This is not something I asked for, requested, or wanted. And why are you mentioning it? Exactly. I feel bad enough. You know what I'm saying? So then, because I'm me, I was just a younger version of me back then, yes. I realized people are very sensitive about their weight. 
because I had a little weight on me. Mm -hmm. So I would say to them, well, I didn't ask for this, but why are you so chubby? And I can't believe you're bringing that up. Well, I can't believe you're talking about my acne. So now we're both even, you know, that type of thing. So I started with the deflection. But my mom is the first African-American female to graduate from University of Medicine and Dentistry for New Jersey way back in 1960 when Seton Hall met Dent. And so um, it was eight women, seven white women and my mom. They were told, you should be nurses, you should be moms, you should stay home, you should be secretaries, you're taking a man spot. And the eight of them were like, whatever. And they all bonded together, they worked really hard. Uh, and uh, I believe one moved to California, and I believe two are deceased now. But some of them still go out together into the city to see plays and, so and that type of thing. And um, I call it, or I have called it in the past, the old medical bags club, because I mean, <laughs> but there's that. But my mom encouraged me from a young age. Mm-hmm. I was always smart. I always did well in school. I you know, was very comfortable when I was even little. Right. I knew I was smart. You know, my grandfather, before my mom, that's my my mother's dad, yeah. my maternal grandfather, was a dentist. And so he told me when I was four years old that I was going to be a doctor and that I was good in science. You know you don't take science yeah. when you're four, but this man's telling me I'm good in science. I go to school, I'm like, I'm good in science. I hadn't even taken science yet. Right. Turned out I was good in science. But he was a dentist back in the roaring days of Harlem in the, Unbelievable. In the 30s and 40s and 50s and 60s and into the 70s. And he wanted me to be a doctor. And it was just very interesting how you know, these people in your life that you admire, you know, really, you know, kind of shape who you are. Yeah. So children live what they learn and they learn what they live. And I see my grandfather being a successful dentist and my mother being a successful pediatrician. And I think to myself, oh, well, you know, I'll just fix my skin later. I'll just be yeah, a dermatologist. Yeah, wow. Yeah, and then That's along amazing. the way, um, I had so many people tell me, you want to be a dermatologist? That's way, that you're really reaching. You, you, that you should just, you know, be, be what most black women are in medicine. Be a pediatrician. Be a family practice doctor. You're, you're not going to be a super specialist in dermatology. That's, that's out of your range. Especially there's a general surgeon from downstate, SUNY Health Science Center, mm-hmm. Brooklyn, where I went to medical school that just really was so rude about how I would not be able to achieve that goal and that I just needed to get over myself. And uh, He was 6'6", six, six, and I'm 5'6", and I said, oh, thank you so much. And I got up and I left his office and I was in the hall saying all kinds of MF and blah, 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 blah (laughs) in the hallway, but, you know, not in front of his face. He was 6'6". Nobody's silly. Um, You know, and he was my professor. But, you know, just many people along the way to tell me that I couldn't do it, and that made me more determined to do it. Yes. So are you that kind of person then who, when someone says you can't, then you're you're more like, I'll show you? (laughs) I was more hyper-focused. I was more hyper-focused on derm after some of the meetings with people saying, oh, well, you know, this is like a super specialty, and are your grades that good, and can you really hack it? Or just flat out, you'll never match in dermatology, you know, type of thing. And, I mean, that, you know, it kind of takes you aback. And my Mm. mother wanted me to go into pediatrics a lot, and she wanted to practice together. And I did probably two months of my pediatric internship. I was at New York Hospital Cornell Medical Mm -hmm. Center. So it's on the Upper East Side. I'm in my 20s. Fun. I really didn't like pediatrics. I really didn't. I said, you know what? All this education and I'm going to hate what I do, this is a bad thing. Right. So I said, well, I'll just switch to Durham. But because of the way the match was, I had to wait a whole other year. So I actually did two years of peds and then I switched to dermatology after that. So I switched from New York Hospital Cornell to Mount Sinai. And I was blessed to get into Mount Sinai's program. And I had a really, you know, 
good experience in terms of my education there. Mm-hmm. And I was, you know, at the front of every meeting and raising my hand and asking questions and looking stuff up and research assignments and what else can I do because I, I wanted to be the hands-on best dermatologist that I could possibly right. be. And so when your mind explodes and you're really interested in what the next step is and what the next process and you know, plenty of interesting mentors I met along the way too that really helped me. But I, I really liked skin. That's when I really clicked. When I hear you talk about it, it's like this. When you say it clicks, it's this moment where you land in in the right place. Right. right. You know. So even though you're being called by your parents to go into different, or your grandparents, mm. or to go into different directions, you're like, no, I'm gonna. Once mm. you're in it, you really had the confidence to stay with the, in the place that right. really sp- spoke to you. But with the skin, I was so sympathetic because I'd had acne. And I was so sympathetic to people saying things to my patients and feeling a certain way and them coming in and being depressed. And, you know, you can see the evolve, you know, the evolution of disease mm-hmm. on the skin. So you can see them getting worse in some cases. You can see them getting better in other cases. And so you can revel in right. their joy or, you know, or, you know, kind of like despair in their pain with them. But you can see and you can help them, you know, with their spirit. And that just seemed like it fit me better. And then when I started looking at anti-aging and realizing all the nonsense that goes on with, oh, my boss says I look mad. And so I remember one of my African-American patients, she was um, tall, tall, like 6'2 tall Mm -hmm. for a woman. And, you know, she was in banking and she just felt like she was at a plateau and thought she was unfriendly. And and I said to her, well, you're taller than everybody else probably, so that's one thing. But you have this frown line that makes you look intimidating. And you have to realize that you need to be Botox so I can get rid of that frown line. And, oh, that's ridiculous, Dr. Downey, and I'm not doing that, and blah, blah, blah. And I said, okay. I said, but I'm right, and you're wrong, and you'll come around to it sooner or later. So I gave her other things, and we did laser, and we did some other things. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, she started talking to her family members and asking them if she looked unfriendly. And they were all like, well, yeah, we thought you knew. And she came back to me and she's like, you're the only one that was blunt enough with me to tell me. I don't know if I should thank you or be mad at you. I said, I don't know you should thank me. And so we did Botox on her once, right? She said once, that's it. She only wants to do it once. And we did it once. You know, she uh, sent me, she said she never writes handwritten notes. She grew up writing them, but she hasn't written them since she's an adult, not in finance, not the way she travels. Right. And she wrote me a handwritten note about how she felt happier with herself. People responded to her differently, and she was going to be doing this until she was well into her 90s. <laughs> She's, you know, advanced a lot. She moved to a different, more prestigious investment bank, and then she moved to a hedge fund. And every time I asked her, I said, well, can I just have a percentage of your earnings because of all the, right, the help right. that the Botox is giving you along the way? She's like, no, that, that's not how it, not work, how it works. That's not how it works. I'll just give you my Botox money and right, my XYZ right. anti-aging money, but you don't get a percentage of anything. But, no, no but she felt better money, right. about herself. And it's so funny because she was not... I give myself credit for all of it. I, I told her, I said, you're more confident. You're going to find somebody now. Watch. Because she was maybe two steps up in her position. It was like maybe three and a half years later. And I said, you're in the right space. You're feeling better about yourself. You're going to find somebody. She's like, oh, I've given up on men, Dr. Downey, whatever. The men are men are all awful. And this, that, and the other thing. She did find and somebody. And I gave myself person. credit for that. And she came into my office like, she didn't even want to tell me because she loves me parading around saying, I told you so. <laughs> 
But she's still my patient now, and she lives in a different city, and she refuses to let anybody else do her face. It's, it's quite so funny. So she, she comes to you still? Yeah, yeah. She she's, in, she's in like every, every, every four months. She comes three times a year, like clockwork. You can set your watch. Yeah, so it's great. You so that you really seen how the increasing confidence, which has been your, which was your experience right, as well, you right, know, the yeah. impact that it had on you, right. you, that you're gifting that as well for your work. Mm-hmm. It's like, mm-hmm. it's yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And it's just fun. With dermatology, you can treat young and old. You can treat male and female. You can treat all all skin types, all races. You can you know do cosmetic. You can do surgical. You can do oncology with skin cancer. It's mm-hmm. you know what is it? I think it's five point. One million people were diagnosed with skin cancer in 2018, wow. according to the Skin Cancer Foundation. And that number's just going up and up and up. And it's ridiculous because so many people with skin of color are like, oh, that's not going to be me. And of course, you know, it we is, have skin yeah. cancer also, and we yeah. can die from skin cancer. And yeah. so everybody has to wear sunblock every single day. I love to say rain or shine, January through December, regardless of your ethnicity. Now this, I have to say, mm-hmm. has the pro- Now I have it in my... Um, what would you call it? It's in my Your beauty cream. My cream, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. But I, I, big confession, mm-hmm. I have it as a summer thing still. No. And even though you'll I age know, slower. like. You'll age slower. Your skin will be even longer. You'll age slower. You'll predispose yourself less just because you'll get less potential skin cancers, mm-hmm. less dark circles under your eyes. The minute I say dark circles, people are like, okay, I'll wear it. Um, <laughs> they'll, you'll get less fine lines and wrinkles over time. Your pore size will look better and your skin will look healthier. So those are all wins in terms they of what I wins. tell my patients. And, and that's know, just from wearing... So a constant SPF of 30 or more. It can't be below a 30. Right. Um, every single day, rain or shine. And I tell my patients that another thing they don't realize, because I'm I'm way into the nerd factor of being a doctor. Like, I'm proud that I'm a nerd. I'm good with it. <laughs> I've always been a bit of a nerd. I married a man that's a bit of a nerd. It's all good. Right. You know what I'm saying? And it's interesting because people don't realize we react to indoor and outdoor lighting. So that means that if you're reacting to indoor lighting, you need to wear sunblock while you're what? In- inside, Shirley. What inside. do you mean? <laughs> so we react to indoor and outdoor lighting. So it's not the indoor lighting is not necessarily going to give you skin cancer, but there's an article that came out in Nature back in 2015 that proves through photobiology that we react as human beings to indoor and outdoor lighting. So it's not if you're white and from Scotland, you'll react, and if you're brown and from Ghana, you won't react. That's not true. Everybody of every skin type reacts to indoor and outdoor lighting. So when you're sitting in lighting at your office or at your home, you're reacting to the indoor lighting. In addition, we react to the blue light of our phone, the blue light of the computer. So you have to not only get up and wash your face in the morning, the days you're staying home, but you have to put sunblock on. So I just tell people, wash your face, brush your teeth, and put sunblock on the days that you're working from home. It's not going to kill you. Kill you. It'll make you age slower. That is a mind And I tell moment. people, face your neck and the backs of your hands in particular, because those are the three telltales. You know, because you can neck. you can look at somebody's face, and if their face is amazing, but then their neck is falling apart, that's not good. And then if you look at somebody's face and neck, and they're good, then their hands might be falling apart. So I tell people, face, neck, and the is that backs why of your hands. Your hands can look older yeah. than your rest of your Yeah, I mean, this is hands are one of our you know chief places that we start aging. We use them all the time. Yeah. We're driving the sun damage. Yeah. We neglect them. You In know. driving, of course. Yeah, yeah, and the, the so the sun's rays are beating. On of our course. hands, that type of thing. I mean, I take off a ton of skin cancers in black and white people from their hands, and Asian and Latino from their hands from driving. We did something fun at Mount Sinai, and we looked at cab drivers, and we looked at their left hand, which is hanging out the window half the year, 
um, if not more, compared mm-hmm. to their right part of their body, and it looked like two different people. And quite frankly, looking at truck drivers' faces after a while looked like two different people, left side of face to right side of wow. face, because the sun's coming in through the window. Yeah, because sun comes in through windows. Also, another thing people don't realize because UVB are deflected, but UVA come rolling right through. So, interesting. It, yeah. Aging. Well, is, listen. Let's talk about then. Um, mm-hmm. Seeing as we're on this, because in the black community, we say a couple. There's a couple of things that we say. There are phrases in the black community. Black don't crack. Yes, it does. And <laughs> just a little bit later, maybe. And um, so black don't crack is one of the things. And the other thing is, so let's talk about skin cancer. Um, black people don't need sunblock, which I've never, I know that's not the truth, Thank but you. I didn't know that. I knew that when I was in the summer months that I have to apply my sun cream, but I did not know that you had to apply it. Every when day. you're inside, I definitely didn't know that. And I didn't know you have to apply every every single day. Every single day. Yep, every single day. And so black does crack. It can crack slower, but it doesn't necessarily crack slower. It depends on your 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 facial muscles. You know, how what are your genetics? So if your parents frown a certain way, you might frown mm-hmm. that certain way. I mean, I do. My parents genetically, I look at the way they're aging and I look at their frown patterns and I look at my own frown pattern, but I stopped my frown pattern back when I was 30. Because I've been Botoxing since I'm 30. Right. I'm as vain as they come, <laughs> and I'm not afraid to mention it. Right. I don't care if somebody knows it. Anybody who names their practice image dermatology is clearly vain. Right. And I'm good with that. You know what I'm saying? And it's not like I'm, you know, like flighty or anything like that. I'm here to help. But the bottom line is people credit me with how they look and how they feel, and there's no price tag on how you feel about yourself. We hear all these stories about people that don't feel good about themselves, that have done all these crazy things to themselves, to other people, at their workplace, you know, whatever like that. Perhaps if they felt better about themselves, those things wouldn't happen. And so there's a big psychiatry component Mm -hmm. to dermatology also. And we always joke and we say they're linked. I took biology and psychology in undergraduate when I was at Tufts University. Right. And I love trying to understand why people do what they do and how we can change mindsets. You know what I'm saying? Yes. And then how you can change your mindset of who you are a little bit is clearly the most powerful, right? Yeah, change absolutely, which mindset. is all my work, yeah. you know? Change some, it's, it's change amazing. your mindset, just, you shift your circumstances. And, and just looking, we were talking about, you know, Maya Angelou um, when we were upstairs before, mm-hmm. and we both are very enamored with her, and oh, I, I just love... Love Maya. I love the quote, when people show you who they are, believe them the first time. Right. That's my favorite quote of hers, right. and I met her on the set of the Today Show, um, maybe probably two years or so before she passed away. Mm-hmm. And um, I was shaking and my voice was trembling and I got tears in my eyes and I was just like so overwhelmed with like getting to meet, you know, this, you know, goddess to me. Yes. And, you know, I remember saying to her, oh my God, you're like my idol. And, you know, and she was like, no, you child are <laughs> fabulous. And she took my hands and it was just, it was a moment. I, you know, it was really a moment. And in that inner healing that I'm trying to do through the practice of medicine and you're trying to do through your She's Got Drive podcast Mm. where you can teach women that they can do and they should do and they will do and they must do. We're both trying to heal. We're trying to heal in different ways. But we're both looking, I think that one of the reasons you're so enamored with her is because just you're you're looking at the quotes and the power and the woman and how she rose above. 
And so, and yeah. your podcast is all about rising above. Yeah. She was just, I mean, I, when I discovered her in my teens, she became like everything. Like I just devoured all her books and different versions of poetry books it was like the same book with different covers. Like, I'll just take it, you know, it became like that. And, um, and then anytime she, where she was, you would find me in London. Mm-hmm. Actually, I'm there, you know, right there and living by her wisdom. Right. And, and we and, all need to have and mentors. All, and the, no and, one does it by themselves. Exactly. And people that say they do it by themselves are frightening and, Probably should be steered clear of because that's no one does it. No, by you can't do it by you yourself. You need mentors, right? You know what I'm saying? You need advice. You need support. You need suggestions. You, you need, need wisdom from other people. You exactly. can't see all perspectives on everything, especially a situation or a problem that you're very close to. You just can't. What's your favorite quote? Actually, you said your favorite quote. What's your second favorite quote? Uh, I like Khalil Gibran a lot. Um, oh, okay. Yeah, I really the, the Lebanese the Lebanese writer, the prophet. He wrote the prof, the book, the prophet. Yes. Mm-hmm. So what is it? Out of massive suffering, something about out of massive suffering comes personalities that are are seared with scars, and he talks about how, you know, you overcome the scars and become a better person, and you're stronger for it, and you're better for it. Mm. And that's not the exact quote. You know, but it, he talks about out of suffering comes scars and comes wisdom and comes your true personality and your right. true self. And right. just, you know, I, I think about, you know, my family looked great from the outside, but unfortunately, very dysfunctional. Okay. And so that was disappointing to me, to say the least, when I understood, you know, this is them. This is not me. You know, that type mm-hmm. of thing. Mm-hmm. And my parents had a rocky marriage and then it ended. And so that was them. That wasn't me. Right. Um, and then there's some time at some point that you realize that you can't be dragged into your family vortex of dysfunction. You just have to move forward on your own. Right. You know, or 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 get continue to get dragged down and continue to be you know assaulted. But the Khalil Gibran quote about you know the suffering of your soul and how it makes you seared with scars. The scars can actually make you a horrible person who does terrible things and doesn't want to move forward, or it can make you a better person that's more sympathetic to other people that wants to move forward and do your best. Right. And so I choose option B, the wanting to move forward and do my mm-hmm. best, but I am so sympathetic to others. And just, you know, there's a level of crazy, you know, that is just is just part of, you know, the life of Janine Downey. I never <laughs> I've never talked to anyone who came back from where was I coming back from? Just a hilarious short story. I was coming back from Cambodia and Vietnam, so I was over there lecturing. Okay. And we had gone to an orphanage to do some uh, some good work with the children. And um, you know, I was in Cambodia and I'm going for a run and I go past the front desk and drop my keys and they're like, Oh, by the way, please just only run on the cement and I'm like, Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he just said, No, please stop, doctor, and, and turn and look at me. And I turned around and I said, What's wrong? He said, No, doctor, you have to run on the cement because there's all these unexploded um devices, you know, IEDs that are like thrown in the grass places and we don't know where they mm-hmm. are and tourists have blown off their feet before. I said, Okay, thank you. You have my attention. I'm probably stay on the cement. <laughs> You know, and so um, I'm going out for my runs. I'm doing my thing. We did some good work. Right. And, you know, I bought some fun stuff back for my family. I was wondering what, how, like, so this this pro, this podcast is about obviously black women's success and how mm-hmm. they achieve the success. So mm-hmm. when you think about the, 
the word success mm-hmm. and an achievement of that, what does it mean to you? You know, mm. what, and at what point do you think you like achieved success? Hmm. Um, okay. Well, I still feel like I'm one of these type A people, surely, that feels like I have many miles to go before I mm-hmm. sleep. Uh, one of the things that really, this is a nerd one, mm-hmm. um, that really made me feel so successful was that now I published over 50 papers in peer-reviewed scientific oh, journals. Oh, wow. So I published 56 papers. And I'm super proud of that. So that That's was like amazing. one of those kind of like, you know, now you're successful. But of course, I was successful when I published five of them. But now I published over 50. And I always wanted to get on the podium because one of my mentors got on the podium one time. And, you know, he said, I published over 50 papers. And I was like, I want to do that. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that type of thing. So that was one of the moments of my life where I was like, okay, I feel like I'm successful with my paper writing. Yeah. So, But for what I do, so I, I have a private practice. I work with... Um, Megan Kara, that's my physician assistant back in Montclair, New Jersey. She's fabulous. So it's me and Megan together against the world. Then I um, publish papers for peer-reviewed journals. Mm-hmm. You have to publish in order to be asked to lecture in all these sexy places. So I told you I have five lectures while I'm here in Chicago at my biggest meeting of the year that's starting this evening. And so yeah. you, know, you publish, then you lecture. So I see patients in my private practice. I publish, I lecture. And then I do a lot of clinical trials for top-tier pharmaceutical companies. I mostly do cosmetic clinical trials because I want to stay cutting edge with what's coming out. If it's good, I want firsthand experience. Mm -hmm. I want to know. I want to be able to tell my patients and inform them what I think is great, what I think is just okay, and perhaps what I think they should stay away from. So I do that. And then I do a lot of highline consulting for the same pharmaceutical companies and for companies outside of pharma that want to get you know, kind of a, you know, a window into dermatology. So that's exciting for me as well. And then I do a bit of TV. I do the Today Show and Good Morning yes. America and Dr. Oz and The View. And I love all of that. And so that's a lot of fun for me. You know, a little baby piece of me when I was a little kid, I had no singing voice, so that was out. But a little baby <laughs> piece of me was like, oh, acting would be so fun. So I get on TV and I get to be an actress for three minutes in a Today Show segment. And that's precious to me that's yeah, fun to me yeah. um you know and then i am a wife of 23 years to my lovely husband michael and i'm a mother to my 16 year old jade my daughter so you know i have seven jobs as it were yeah that's my background is west indian so you know they always say west indians have a bunch of jobs so, <laughs> so um which island Jamaica for my dad's family and Guyana for my mother's family. And getting back to your question about success. So for me, some of success was being able to get these high-level consulting jobs Mm -hmm. and get these high-level clinical contracts and just just bring them in and be able to, you know, synthesize this and get this done. And, you know, I I just really like that. I work with my office manager. Her name is Giovanna for the past... um, Wow, like it's 19 and a half years I've worked with her. She came wow. a month after I started my practice. She's a very loyal employee. And she helps me run the clinical trials. And we get this done. And we do a great job. And, and she's just fantastic. And so that's just been a pleasure that I can rely on somebody and trust mm-hmm. somebody. And, you know, and have somebody on my team that I can you know, really make sure that she has my interest at heart and I have hers at mm-hmm. heart. And we can kind of move forward as a team. And so that's that's been fantastic. And just... Clinical trials mean that I get to include brown skin and black skin right. in my clinical trials. So you do get that. So that was a modicum of success for me because too many pharmaceutical companies and co- you know cosmetic companies don't t- test on types four, five, and six skin. So type four would be like your average, like kind of middle skinned 
Indian person mm -hmm. type five skin would be like my skin color mm -hmm. and type six would perhaps be your skin color. Right. And people don't test enough on brown skin. And how is that fair? We need to be tested on too so we can make sure that things are safe and appropriate and efficacious exactly. and proper for us. We're people, we deserve that. And so me being involved in these clinical trials, I get to test on brown skin. So that to me was another measure of success that I get to do this. I wanted to do this, I get to do this. That's important for me to have a seat at the table for these clinical trials. And sometimes I get them and sometimes I don't. Right. Sometimes I think that's fair and sometimes I don't. <laughs> you know, that type of thing, but all of that. And, and then just being able to, you know, be on TV and be known as a key opinion leader. Mm -hmm. That's a modicum of success. You know, I just like, I'll never forget the first time um, this white guy that I was really good friends with said to me, you know, Janine, you're a KOL. And I was like, I am. I'm a key opinion leader. Oh, my God. I have to go home and celebrate. <laughs> and I hadn't thought about it right. like that before. I didn't, it right. wasn't in my brain space, you know, Shirley. So all of those different things. But it's just steps and levels. And I have many moths to go before I sleep. I'm, writing a book right now. You know, I have no spare time, so I'm joking and saying in my spare time, but I have no spare time. <laughs> we have a... Um, and you've written a book before, though. I've written you? Beautiful Skin of Color, mm -hmm. which is a comprehensive guide for Asian, olive, and dark skin, mm -hmm. which um, was released in 2004 by HarperCollins, and it did fine, but it didn't do well. Okay. I'm writing a second book right now, hoping that it does very, very, very well, and it's a more personal book and it's just me as the main author and so that's exciting and then um, myself and four board certified uh, dermatology friends of mine decided that we were going to get together and try to do the view for dermatology so we have a new show called the gist g-i-s-t like get it like the dermatologist yeah, yeah, yeah so but if you just type in the gist you'll go to a, this very religious show and i'm not trying to convert anybody so you have to go to youtube.com slash the gist show okay and we're literally trying to make it like a dermatology for the views like a like a dermatology version of the view so allergan supported five episodes and they're going to support another five episodes wow and then we're hoping it gets picked up but it's non-branded so it's not like it's a commercial for allergan and mm -hmm. it's the five of us myself who's african-american sabrina is spanish um her family's from spain she's from california uh ruth is jewish from boston doris is persian Jewish from New York City, and um, me, and then Ava Shambam. She is um, my Beverly Hills Jewish woman, as I like to call her. <laughs> so it's the five of us, and we have different degrees of TV experience. We're loving it. So we've, we're releasing it slowly on YouTube, and so far so good. And if your subscriber, if your listeners want to subscribe to Absolutely. my YouTube.com, I'll say it again, slash the gist, G-I-S-T show. Okay. I would love that because we need subscribers in order to really be considered to be picked up. And this is a lot of dermatology information from five people with five points of view that we're excited about. You've accomplished so much. You, Thank are you. passionate about what you're doing. What's your something else you know where do you want to what else do you want to do apart from being on 60 minutes <laughs> just put keep that, you saying it often the, enough put that in the ether put that in the ether i would love for this gist the gist show that i mentioned mm -hmm. before my youtube yeah. show i would love for that to get picked up by you know a syndicated you know and become a syndicated show that we tape out of new york that would be fabulous for me to be on TV all the time. Yeah. I love that. My my level of, like, like, I know that I get nervous. I get nervous lecturing before high school students, and they don't even know anything. So I got nervous before this podcast. I get nervous before all of it. Yes. You know what I'm saying? Because there's a, a certain part of me that's humble that's like, what am I doing? Why am I sitting down on the Today Show? Why am I sitting down with Shirley McAlpine? What's happening now? Right. Um, you know, but I get nervous, but I, I 
that that would be great to be on TV all the time. I love the energy that it brings me. I love the the people that I could reach. I love having positive, you know, African American role models for our children. Right. You know, yes. Of like you know, for our children out there on TV. I don't want them to see the guy in the orange jumpsuit and the handcuffs. I want them to see me. Yeah. You know, being a doctor, being on TV, and say, oh, that's a female doctor. She seems really happy. Maybe that's something I should do. Right. I want those positive role models. I want those images. I want, what do they call those, media impressions? Mm -hmm. I want that to be the media impression. Just, yeah. just being a media impression alone is a big deal. So I would love for the gist to get picked up. I would love my book to be at least as good as Michelle Obama's book. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if that would happen. You know what I'm saying? But I, I would love that. I, I, would, I would find that fabulous. Um, I would love for my daughter to get into the college of her dreams. Mm. I would love to continue with traveling and lecturing around the world. And I would love to keep bringing my perspective on dermatology and what it is that I'm doing to other people. Mm -hmm. And then, of course, I, I didn't say this before, but there's a certain amount of young women that I try to mentor and talk to and lecture and... You know, just like you're valuable, your body's valuable, your mind's valuable, your space is valuable, mm -hmm. you're valuable, you know, in terms of what they want to do and and why why they shouldn't put up with less than what they want to put up mm -hmm. with, less than, less than they think that they should put up with. Right, less than they deserve, maybe. Yeah. Yeah. And even kind of that, whatever that thought about what you deserve, that we elevate that, you mm -hmm. know, we, we are, um, there's so many messages in our in our environment that reinforces that you're less than or you're not worthy or you know we were talking um i was talking earlier about to a client this morning about the crazy when i think about the kids that are sent home because of their black hair from school and oh my god it makes me so Mad. I've had the experience in the in the school where my son has very very curly hair. Was where the question was, is can it not be curly? Was one of the questions. And and why is that anybody else's interest? And I've like, seen the pictures of your son. He's fabulous. Right. And his hair is fabulous. Can it not? Can it not be curly? It's just like. Is he blocking no, someone else's view? No. Like, no. Literally. See curly. on me. So I would say to the teacher, is he blocking someone's view? Perhaps that person, if they're shorter, should shouldn't sit in front of him. It's so crazy. That's I can't. So it's and, so, and so many our like paradigm that. as a society needs to become more accepting, right? Of every culture, right. everything, every hairstyle, everyone. I appreciate you sharing so much. I appreciate your stand. I appreciate how much you are accomplishing. Thank you. And um, thank you very much. And I really, you know, so one of the things that I believe is even though we're not like in the room with you, like you are shifting the paradigm and shifting the DNA of the space that you work in that allows for so. someone to, who may never ever meet you, but will allow for her to enter that room at some point in the future, allows for us to step into spaces that it's not even, that isn't my space, that I'm another space, but because you're occupying that space, you give space to another, do you know? I and know I really, saying. really believe that. And so I just really appreciate everything that you're doing. And I'm looking forward to your new program with the four of you, 
like there sharing. actually five of us. Is yeah. there five, five of you? Us, yeah. yeah. YouTube.com slash The Gist Show. The Gist Show. And, and it's so my, great. My website is imagedermatology.com for your listeners. So you can check me out. And do you me, have, are you on Instagram as well? I'm on Instagram. I'm just Janine Downey on okay. Instagram. So J-E-A-N-I-N-E-D-O-W-N-I-E for the 30% Scottish woman that I am. I hope that you've been inspired to shift gears in your own life. When I left my interview or my time with Janine, I was struck by so many things, but I wanted, there was a couple of things that really stood out for me, was the power of having such a strong sense of yourself. And, and that's your sense on the inside and your strength being grounded on the inside that reflects on the outside, you know? So, so much of the conversation when we think about her work is just like, what does it look like on the outside and how do we take care of ourselves on the outside? But so much of what she exhibits and stands for and shares about and who she is, is about our strength and our beauty on the inside and how we stay grounded and how we stay, we really get who we are. And so I, that's one of the things that struck me about my time with her. I'm curious to hear what you took away from your time listening for with into the, to this interview. So please reach out to me and let me know what you got. You can contact me at Shirley McAlpine on my Instagram. You can find me uh, on She's Got Drive Facebook page or you could go to my website shirleymcalpine.com forward slash contact me and send me a message there. She's Got Drive is produced by Cassandra Voltolina. The music is by the awesome or female band Blonde. The song is called Circles. Until next time, go well and stay well. <laughs>